Hey, Sprinters, welcome to The Sprints with Carl and Jamie, where we will give you a sprint of life and fun. Food, fashion, travel, whatever comes to our minds. Let's get into it. Welcome back, Spritzers. I am excited today. We have with us Sean Shapiro, who is with the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Foundation, and Nzinga Prescott, who is a two-time Olympic fencer. Welcome, guys. Thank you. I am so honored to be here in the presence of greatness because I don't have a tattoo, and I always said if I did get a tattoo, it would only be if I were an Olympian. So I will die with no tattoo. But I am such a big fan of the Olympics and just the amount of dedication. And I'm just sitting here in awe of you. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, we appreciate you. Sean, I'm in awe of you as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sitting next to an Olympic fencer, you can't beat that. Yes, amazing. Absolutely. So you were in London and Rio, is that right? London and Rio. It was quite some time ago now. <laughs> 2012, I was 19. 2016, I was 23. Wow. And now I'm turning 31. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm still deeply in the world of Olympic, Paralympic sports. I'm on the board at USA Fencing. But most full-time, I'm running my program now for kids So it's focused on access for kids in Brooklyn, but across New York City, underrepresented populations that would never see fencing historically, or there's just terrible barriers, cost barriers. Fencing is like terribly expensive, but most sports are pay-to-play model. Mm -hmm. And then there's a geographical consideration too. There are no fencing clubs in Flatbush, except now there is. Wow. (laughs) So that's pretty cool. So now I'm really full-time on building the Prescott Institute for Sport, Teamwork, and Education, which is, it's pieced. Mm -hmm. It's legally fencing in the park, Inc., but we have a DBA that I hope processed. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we're commonly known as pieced now. Peace. But it's a double entendre. So piste is also a lane, lane in French, mm-hmm. which is our field of play in fencing. It's the fencing strip. In French, it's piste. So when you're going like a World Cup or World Championships, whatever, they're like, oh, piste rouge. So you're on the red, red strip. Red strip. My French is good enough to know that one awesome. <laughs> from high school. Awesome. It's also piste in um, skiing, like the lane that you ski down. So it's like a, a long, narrow lane. But yeah, the meaning is the Prescott Institute for Sport, Teamwork, and Education. So that's, that's awesome. That's and you know that's in Carl's neck of the woods. That's right. BK all day. Yes. Carl, <laughs> were you fencing when you were growing up in Brooklyn? No, I was jumping over the fence. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you running from? <laughs> right. Who are you running from? Kids. <laughs> you could have ran hurdles. I know. I could have. I could have. So for our Muse Boost today, you know, I just got back from Italy, Carl. Yay. <laughs> and since we have an athlete here, I didn't think we should do alcohol. <laughs> no, no alcohol. <laughs> so what I brought back in this dropper bottle, this is actually pure balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy. So I've learned a lot about balsamic vinegar. Mm-hmm. And this is DOP. So that's pure, just the grapes in it. None of the added white wine, vinegar, anything like that. When you're in the grocery store, by the way, folks, you want to look for the balsamic that has the grape listed first because that means there's more of that 
than the vinegar. Got it. Yeah, and mm. you want ones that don't have any food coloring. But this is legit, pure, DOP from Modena. So I'm going to give everybody a spoonful. Great. All right. It's kind of thick. Ooh, strong. Yeah. You have to smell it and all that first. Mm. It smells, smells nice. And it comes from the name balsam, which is like a medicinal remedy. So it's supposed to be good for inflammation and all those sorts of things. So they say to have some every day. All right, guys. All right, let's spoon it. What do you think? It's oh, good. Yeah, it's good. Tastes like melted raisins. <laughs> it does. It does have a lot of raisins. Right? Wow. You're it right. Tastes, yeah, it tastes like melted raisins. Yep. Very good. Yeah, it tastes Throw some on you. some salmon. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Jane. Straight from Italy. Mm-hmm. That's right. So I have some questions from... One of my besties, Ashley Joseph's son, Will, who I just was telling you is a fencer at the University of North Carolina, go Heels. <laughs> and so I asked him, I said, I've got this fencer on here. What am I going to ask her? Because I love to watch fencing, and I've seen the Three Musketeers. Mm-hmm. So Will told me that you would probably have an interesting answer to what right-of-way means in fencing. Yeah, right-of-way. So let me backtrack. Fencing has three disciplines of fencing. There's foil, epi, and saber. I'm a foil fencer. I'm a woman's foilist. Foil is usually the weapon that you're introduced to if you're just starting to fence. It's the most foundational weapon. It's most classical. Three musketeers. Yes. It's If you think of fencing in medieval times, it's most like foil fencing. Mm-hmm. And the target area in foil is just your torso. So you have a pretty limited target. And then you have to hit with your point. In epe, you also hit with your point, but your whole body is the target, and there's no right-of-way in epe. It's just who hits first. So it's the most intuitive to kind of an outsider coming into the sport for the first time. Epe is—it's just whose lights gets on. If two lights get on, you both get a touch. Mm -hmm. So it's the most like a game, and you see a really big field in epe because— it's the easiest to pick up at a later age because you don't have to adjust your thinking and your reactions to right-of-way. So Sabre also has right-of-way. And I'm going to explain, explain this thing called yeah. right-of-way. But Sabre also has right-of-way, but you don't hit with the point. You hit with the side of your blade. So it's more slashing and cutting. And it's very fast because you don't need that precision of the tip. It's not like a fine motor skill with your point, right? So the actions happen a lot quicker because you just have to do a light tap on the upper body. So it's a bit of a sprint, more of a sprinting. So now foil and saber have right of way. So right of way is a system of rules that the referee uses to determine whose touch it is. So in foil and saber, it's not just who hits first or whose light gets on first. It's who's the attacker. Or who took the blade last. So if you blocked last, you have right of way. If both lights come on, it's your point. If you started the attack and had intention to attack the person first, you have right of way. So you're awarded the point. So foil and saber, you're adjusting to these rules. As an athlete, as a fencer, you're adjusting to these rules your whole career so that you're making the right decisions in the split second when someone's attacking you. You won't win the point if you just extend your arm and you both hit, you have to take the blade. So now you have to make them stop. So then there's a whole, like, system of defense you need to use to make them stop. So you can start your attack, or you take the blade, so it's then you have right away. So it's another layer of, like, strategy. Epe has its own strategy, your whole body. You have to defend—there's a whole other target area you're defending now. So they're different games, different ways to train, different personalities. I tell people that each Mm -hmm. weapon attracts— So you're a foilist, so what does that say about your personality? Foil is really technical. Mm -hmm. Foil is really technical because you have that layer of strategy around right-of-way. 
you have ride wave, and then you also can only hit with your point, and you have a very limited target. So it's super technical mm-hmm. with your fine motor skills, like with your point control. It's a lot of strategy and like depth of strategy because you have to think like a lot of steps ahead to get right of way and to make the person stop and to grab your like intention to attack is is really tough. Saber is really athletic. They're all athletic, but Saber is like a lot of sprinting motions mm-hmm. because you can go really fast and not be worried about your tip getting to the target because you have to hit with the side of the blade. So you can go really fast because you have to touch the person with the side of the blade, not with the tip of the blade. Right. Right. The tip of the blade is maybe like a quarter inch, mm-hmm. maybe less. So foil is harder. They're just different, different, different okay. person. Saber, you can go off the line very aggressive, like, it's like, <laughs> like saber That's the one I need. <laughs> I mean, I guess like everybody's like saber in the kitchen, right? It's a person. <laughs> just with the fish or the chicken, the side of the blade. That no? sounds more like oh, epic. Could- <laughs> oh, epic. <laughs> But, yeah, each weapon has a person that gravitates towards that. So, like, Saber, for example, is, like, a lot of alpha energy. Like, a lot of, you know, like— Oh, that's definitely me. Rah, there's— Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> they're all pretty intense, but there's some waiting game in Epe. So if you're, mm-hmm. you know, more patient, that's that moral. might be— <laughs> Not me. <laughs> might be attractive. Also, if you start later, Epe is a little bit more appealing because uh-huh. you don't have to adjust your— reaction to the system of right of way. Sure. And I think that is really difficult for young people. It was difficult for me. It's difficult for everyone, but I'm seeing it again because I'm coaching at my program now. So I see it very often how hard it is to train yourself to react a certain way, mm. not just to like get the light on. It's, right. It's not your point. Well, I'm having trouble conceptualizing it. So actually putting it in action would be really hard. <laughs> it's not simple. <laughs> it doesn't sound that way. Of course yeah. not. Well, Sean is also here and he is with the foundation. And talk a little bit about how the foundation helps athletes like Nazinga and people who are going to come out of her program get to the Olympics. Yeah, so the foundation is the fundraising arm of the U.S. OPC, or the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. And yeah, we partner with philanthropic supporters all across the U.S. Like yourself, Jamie, we are so (laughs) grateful for your and Brian's generosity. And what we do is we directly support the athletes on and off the field of play. So it's everything from high performance, making sure that the athletes have the access to the best coaches, the best facilities, technology, Mm -hmm. equipment all of that, the things you would think of on the field, as well as nutrition, sports psychology, all the things that, you know, help athletes achieve their dreams and win medals in the Olympic and Paralympic Games. It's also the off the field things too. So we like to support our athletes holistically. They're people, just like every one of us. And they need support in the mental health space. And they're putting their careers on hold. They're putting education on hold to achieve their dreams. So we're helping with that transition when their playing career is done. How do we help set them up for success later in, in life? So yeah, there's a number of ways we support the athletes. And one we, we've worked with in Zynga, she was actually a recipient of our inaugural Service and Hope Award. Oh, um, congratulations. Uh, yeah, just recognizing athletes who make an impact in their community. So fencing in the park. And yeah, we have over 100 applicants each year, Olympians and Paralympians, and only four are selected to get support for their cause. So yeah, that's just one way we support the athletes. That's awesome. So I actually, I had a, a really... A transparent question to ask you. Oh. <laughs> you know, being a woman of color and also a woman, 
what was the experience like breaking into the world of fencing for you? That's a great question. I always get this question. I uh-huh. get it a lot. I'm like a sore thumb in the world. Uh-huh. I feel like a sore thumb <laughs> often. You know, like you probably yeah. feel similar coming from bed mm-hmm. and now you're in fashion. You went to Totten. Tottenville. Yeah, Staten no, Island. I know Tottenville because I'm yeah. like a huge nerd. Yeah. So I know all the best schools in yeah. the city. So yeah, I grew up in fencing since I was nine, though. And I grew up at the Peter Wester Foundation, which oh. was something like the Black Fencing Club. Mm-hmm. And so that was in Chelsea in Manhattan. And I came from, and I'm still coming from, Flatlands in Brooklyn. Yeah. So it was a huge commute. There's no trains yeah. over there. It's like bus to the train mm-hmm. since I was nine. Wow. Going to the city five days a week, six days a week to train. And I had a really great coach, Bucky Leach, mm-hmm. um, who passed away a couple years ago. Oh, shout but, out to Bucky. Yeah, shout out to Bucky. I love him so much. Aww. Yes, that's my guy. So I, I was working with him. But he he was the Olympic coach. I was 10 years old. Wow. And so I just— <laughs> Started I had, at the top. <laughs> I had crazy training since 10 years old. And Peter— financed it all. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in like a little bit of a bubble in this bigger space of like PWI, predominantly white. And now the demographics are changing a little bit more and you'll see a lot more Asian presence even. Mm-hmm. Still, the black and Latinx population is very, very, very low. You can imagine that like data is tough. So you can't, it's yeah. hard to measure, but it's very low. Anecdotally and just for fa- factually, it's it's low. And so I grew up in this little haven a mm-hmm. little bit. And I also, growing up, I went to public school and I went to school on Flatbush Junction. And yeah. like, so I had these two worlds mm-hmm. I was living in between and it was great balance for me Yeah, at a young age, which was cool and I enjoyed it. And yeah, I had this whole exposure to like this different, different type of people. Yeah. I was the only one going to Manhattan every day after school. Because it was forbidden. You could not, like, travel outside. It's just you don't have reason to. Yeah. It's What do you mean it's forbidden? Well, my mother would not even want me to go to, like, the city most of the time. What are you doing oh, there? Yeah. That was back when it was dangerous. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say ultra dangerous because, I mean, to us, it wasn't. It's it was, unknown. It's, it's unknown. like, what are you doing there? You don't know anyone there? Yeah. For what? Yeah, so— so- yeah, so I grew up going to the to the city very often to train, and so I, you know, I had my people. Mm-hmm. I had my people at the like elite fencing club where you know that's the the masses of the fencing population, very affluent families. And then I had my people at Peter Westbrook Foundation who trained. Some of them trained like I did, but some of them just came on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. So it's like they have a recreational and high performance component. So kind of like ours now. And then I was in school and, like, I hung out with kids from the neighborhood. So I had the balance. Growing up in fencing, I realized more, oh, you know, when I started traveling to Europe and going to, like, the World Cups at 13, 14, 15, I'm like, I'm the only black girl in this whole city. (laughs) This whole city. Yeah. (laughs) And that was an experience for everyone, I think. You know, Mm -hmm. and, like, the other countries, seeing me, the Russians, the Germans, the Hungarians, and killing it, you know, like— I was a force. So that was pretty cool. And I I enjoyed being different. And I still enjoy being different. And when I brought that back to like Huddy Public School, and then I went to Stia, so it was a little bit more like not as weird. But when I brought it back, everyone's like, what are you talking about? Right. (laughs) What are you? I just didn't even talk about it because everyone has— It's so foreign to them. It's so foreign. It's foreign to me. It's just like this other life I live. But now that I don't fence— 
and I'm exploring my life beyond fencing, mm-hmm. now I feel it a lot because I haven't had a normative experience wow. for a young black woman. Mm-hmm. So I have like the people that I grew up around are different than yeah. the people people in my neighborhood grew up around. The things they enjoy are different. What they pay attention to is different than what I pay attention. You know, it's so that has been since I've exited my athletic career as a black woman in this really niche sport mm-hmm. that black women are not historically in, I now feel it a lot more than I did when I was in the sport. And wow. that's something that I'm like resolving. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm like figuring out now. That's cool. Very cool. Yeah. So you're like entering into a new world of culture and Renaissance. Re- Renaissance. <laughs> <laughs> Renaissance culture from Brooklyn. Culture from Brooklyn. She's been all over the world and I love it. So when you're training and leading up to a competition, what is life like on a daily basis? Like nutrition, training, working out, what does that day look like? To be honest, when you're young, you can do anything and you're Mm. fine. (laughs) Okay. You can eat whatever. You work out like every day. As you get older, I had to like change my diet because I had injuries. And if I'm heavier, then my injuries will flare up and it's and then I can't fence. So you have to change your diet for injury prevention a lot. Mm-hmm. So I was doing some of that. You have to do so much PT, physical therapy. It's like to warm up, to cool down, separate days, off days, in the morning. There's just so much rehab involved because you've used your body as an instrument mm-hmm. for 15 years now. And in a repetitive way. So you have to proactively and reactively address your imbalances and any kind of like inflammation that you experience on a reoccurring basis. So that adds a lot of time to your training. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so there's that as you get older. But the training for fencing is a lot of um, technical work. Okay. Repetition. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Just reps, especially when you're young. Reps. Reps. Getting your technique better, mm-hmm. handwork, a lot of footwork. Mm-hmm. I grew up doing a lot, a lot, a lot of footwork. So you can dance. So you can dance in the strip, yeah. Okay. So you don't have to worry about being tired with yeah. your legs on the strip. It should just be all strategy. What are you going to do next? How do you rea- react properly mm-hmm. and correctly? Not like, oh my God, my legs are fatiguing. Yeah. I can't move. I can't keep up. <laughs> right? She's moving me up and down the strip. You know, you don't want to lose. My coach used to always say, you don't want to lose because you're tired. Uh-huh. So it also opens up a whole game if you're athletically agile. So there used to be like a lesson one-on-one with your coach. And I would take like really long lessons with my coach. Usually it's like 20 minutes. I would take like 30, 40, sometimes hour-long lessons. And I loved lessons. It's like, it's so focused, you know? And your coach is really on you to get it correct. And I really liked that pressure. Yeah. And I responded well to it. So you would do that. And then before that, you'd warm up. So I'd do like a 20-minute run Mm -hmm. to warm up, stretch, take my lesson, and then do a half an hour of footwork before the group class. So that's independent, as they call it, asynchronous learning. (laughs) 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 Just on my own, just doing footwork practicing like more precise how quickly I can move my my foot or like keeping my feet apart and staying balanced changing direction whatever my lunge getting away from the lunge like whatever I needed to work on and then I would do a group class with the normal class mm-hmm. so that's like a group of fencers this coaches students that goes on for like an hour hour and a half and then you'll free fence so that's when you apply everything and you do a batting that's so an I, amazing commitment that's, I would be at practice 
right after school. I wouldn't talk to anybody. I would go straight to practice, <laughs> get there at 3, do my lesson at 3.45, be done 4.15, 4.30, do my footwork, get, get into the class at 5. Wow. And then I'd be there until 8, 8.30. Jesus. Oof. And then she got good enough grades to go to Columbia, so it's not There's like she no was— There's no excuses, people. That's right. <laughs> Step up. Step I tell up. people I've been working since I was 10 years old. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sounds like it. You're a phenomenon. Like it. Yeah, no. it's not easy, but it's, you know, it was fun. Yeah. I liked it. I enjoyed it. But what makes you so special is that you went to fincing, but now you're bringing fencing to others. Yeah. And I, I love that. Yeah. You know? I, I tell people, like, I feel like it's also some for me because it's just so— divided of worlds that I was living in. I mm-hmm. want to bridge the gap. Right. Bridge it for the kids so they have the opportunity and they have they have the sport of fencing, which is like the sport itself is amazing, but the network that you get attached with, like the yeah. educational opportunities. Sure. The scholarship. Travel. The travel, right. The meeting like new types of people, like exposure to new pathways and possibilities and like expectations for your success. It's life-changing to have that access. So now I bridge that gap for them so they have more of an open opportunity to fence, but also to just experience new and exciting and beneficial and lucrative things for their lives. Yeah. So they have options and they can be limitless. Yeah, see different things. But also the character piece is like you have to know how to be disciplined. You have to know what commitment looks like. You have to know how to do hard things. Right. You have to train yourself to do those things. You have to know how to focus. You know how to like have a mission, you know, and like step by step make your way to your mission. You you teach those things. And there's not a lot of outlets to teach that high performance. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, the Olympic, Paralympic ideals and values of like excellence and friendship and respect. There's not a lot of opportunities to learn that, especially where I grew up. And Sean, isn't that one of the purposes of the Olympics too, to bring people together? Yeah, it's not just the impact on the athletes, but it's what they represent, what they bring to the world and the stories behind these athletes that you get to see on NBC during the games. And and Those make me cry, I'm not going to lie. But Paris is coming up, right, Sean, next year? We are so excited. I think it's 384 days away to the opening ceremony as of recording. You are counting. Oh, yeah. We're ready. (laughs) We're almost a year out. I mean, it's it's an exciting time. I'm I'm excited. It's going to be my first Olympics I'm going to, and I'm really excited about— Are you coming? No, I wish. Come, I'll probably be Carl, come on, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if we can get Carl in a suitcase to come over there. But I'm really excited yeah. about going to the Olympic Village. What is that like? <laughs> <laughs> the Village. The Village is pretty great. You just see, like, every athlete in the cafeteria, in the housing complex. Do you get starstruck? And, no, it's just, like, everyone's there to do their sport. It's cool because yeah. you see people who have grinded for a really long time just like you have, and it's just all of them in one place. Wow. You know, it's a lot of respect for everybody to get there, and everyone wants to have fun and, like, wants to work hard, and they've found ways to balance it, and they know how to turn on and perform. You know, it's just like— So seeing those personalities behind them, like, perform is is cool. You get to—like, what do you like? Do you talk? You know, like, do, you, do you have fun? Like, you know what I mean? And they do. Do you I mean, use the bathroom? Yeah, <laughs> I'm just right. Do you sleep? No. So it's cool to just like interact with them and see like, oh, they're just Regular a real people. person. Yeah, right. they're just a normal person. Just making it work the best they can. That's yeah. awesome. So Sean, if people want to go to the Olympics, I know it's a little over a year away. Is it 
too late to go? And do you have insights on how people can get access to the Olympics? Yeah, the foundation hosts a hospitality program with a number of different options. Everything from something as simple as, hey, we just want tickets and help us out, to full-fledged, like, private transportation, the bougiest hotel in Paris, that kind of stuff. So it's hands down the best way to experience the games as a USA fan. Yeah, we're excited to have you and your family join us. I know you're interested in seeing Equestrian at the Chateau de Versailles. Ooh, for uh, sure. My daughter's ooh. a big rider, and her horse's sire is with the Guatemalan team. Oh, wow. And okay. so we're hoping that they bring him. He was actually in Beijing, and we'll get to see him yeah, in person. So she's really excited about he that. He got some years on him. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Horses can be old. Good for him. Right. <laughs> I like that. I mean, you know what's so funny, Nazinga? You say that, but I was laughing when I was reading some things about you, and you're a senior fencer. I was like, okay, you are a baby still, and we need to retool that where you're not called a senior. That's like our professional, because right. technically it's amateur sport. We're not in a professional league. So senior is like the same thing. It's like Olympic-level mm. fencing. You know, like Div 1. Yeah. There's a lot of ways to call it. I like a name better than senior. Well, I have some news about Paris. Oh, do tell us. Yeah, our kids were selected to go <gasps> to a youth sports festival in Paris oh. right before the Olympics with Sport dans la Ville. It's a French nonprofit that has like a sister team in New York, and they're doing a, a youth sports festival right before the games. And our, six of our kids get to go, so we're raising money for that. Fantastic! And then That's amazing, which is pretty cool. And then they get to go to the opening ceremonies. Oh, oh my wow. gosh! Pretty cool, right? That's sick. So since we are a fashion as well as travel and art podcast, who is the designer that is doing the U.S. Uniforms for the opening ceremonies. Yeah, so typically, I'm sure you've seen on on the broadcast the Polo Ralph Lauren outfits. So they always do a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see what those designs will look like. I have no insight yet, but I imagine they'll be releasing those in the months leading up to it. And Very Sean's cool. over there sporting Nike and brought us Nike hats. No, I love so my I guess hat. Nike's Thank a partner as well, Sean. Yep, yep. Love the gear. We get great gear on Team USA. It's fantastic. My favorite was the moon boots from the Beijing 22 games, uh, the, the Winter Olympics. They looked uh, like astronaut shoes. Do you get oh, a I pair of those? I, I was lucky. They are athlete issued, so technically not, but we had some left over. So. Any oh. athletes out there? What size shoe are you, Carl? 11 and a 44 in European sizing. Because <laughs> you would rock some moon boots, girl. I, I used to have moon boots. I used to have moon boots. So. But not Olympic-issued ones. Not Olympic-issued ones, no. So, Sean, not everybody can take off and go to Paris next summer. And I know that your foundation does things all the time, not just the years that there are Olympics. you got to be prepared. Yep. But are there things that people can do to get involved to support the athletes in other ways? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We have an annual fund like most nonprofits. It's important to know we aren't federally funded, so the government Mm. does not support the athletes. So it's the American public that really makes an impact on the athletes. So we have the Team USA Fund. You can donate, give to them, teamusa.org. There's ways to get more hands-on involved. We have incredible leadership groups like the trustees and board of directors that folks can step up and get really involved to take our efforts to the next level. And we do have events across the U.S., really fantastic opportunities to engage with the athletes and take photos with the medals and try to test your skills against the athletes in their sport. Or what's even more fun is the sport that they didn't play in. Like, you know, like, (laughs) is Brandy Chesting good at volleyball like (laughs) it's always fun so we have some really great events throughout the u.s 
All right. So, as you guys know, I work in fashion. Jamie loves fashion. Everybody's a fashionista in some kind of way. What's one item of clothing that you always travel with that is like your must-have? Well, when I was competing, I had lucky underwear. So <laughs> lucky underwear. <laughs> but my fanny pack is. Oh. I carry my fanny pack everywhere. <laughs> okay, fanny, fanny pack. pack. Yeah. There we go. Well, I'll awesome. ask you this, Nazinga. Why do fencers wear white? Is there a possibility that they're going to add color or pattern to Oof. fencing uniforms? That's like asking Wimbledon <laughs> to not wear white. You know, it's a right. very in its fabric. It's very respectable. Like you have to. It's very much the gentleman's sport. We salute each other. We shake hands. There's like very strict sportsmanship mm -hmm. rules in fencing. It's too much of a tradition. No, they're not going to change that ever. Wow. And I don't want them to. It's it's part of fencing. I love that. Sean, what's your runway takeaway? I wear baseball hats. So I have a Team USA hat that I wear everywhere. It tends to be a conversation starter. Everyone thinks I'm an Olympic athlete. I'm oh. like, no, nah, not with this beer belly. So, beer pong might yeah. make it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so a baseball cap. Yeah. Love that. Love that. I agree. I have tons. So we're going to have links to the websites for the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Foundation, as well as to PEAST, which is Nzinga's foundation. So you all can get involved and follow them and— Everybody in Brooklyn and NYC, go and support Nzinga right now. Thank you. Our programs are also free at the moment for families. That's awesome. To oh. erase all barriers, make it as easy as possible. Because part of it is also convincing young people to get into fencing mm -hmm. because they're so enamored with basketball. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Basketball, football. So it's like you have to get them early, first mm -hmm. of all, and then make it really a fun experience for them. So you just want to eradicate all kinds of, any kind of excuse that you can't get there. Yeah. <laughs> take it away so that they can enjoy the full experience of fencing and the, and the world of fencing. That's awesome. amazing. Awesome. Well, this has been such an honor to have you all here and really appreciate your being here. It's been so great to see you again, Sean, and to meet you, Nazinga. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. It was fun. Well, thank you so much, guys. Thanks and for having me. Thank us. you. Thank you. We are out of here. Thank you so much for joining us today for The Spritz with Carl and Jamie. Ew. A production of Hanger Studios. You can follow us on Instagram at The Spritz Pod, on Facebook at The Spritz, and you can find this amazing Spritzy Ritzy podcast on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you may find your podcast. Please subscribe and rate and review us. Thank you, guys. <laughs>